Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, a stress relief coach and host of the Mighty Parenting podcast. Quick reminder to pop over to MightyParenting.com and grab the free email series on how to talk to your teen. Today, we're talking about parenting strategies, and we're looking at how our parenting can help to steer our kids away from drug use and potential addiction. Richard Capriola is our guest today. He actually joined us originally on episode 165, where he talked about drug use and addiction. Well, today we're taking that, we're going upstream to look at prevention. Richard, welcome back to Mighty Parenting. Oh, thank you, Sandy. It's a pleasure to be back here with you. And uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get into this subject a little bit more differently than we did before. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I appreciate that you reached out and let me know that you're doing this upstream piece, that you're talking about positive parenting, preventing drug use. And when you were telling about that, you said that you address six essential areas that parents need to focus on. So why don't we start off? Can you tell us what those six areas are? Sure. Um, the, The first area is communication. Uh, And communication is a skill that I think everybody can work on improving uh, so that when we are talking to our child, we are not just hearing the words that our child is saying, but we're we're picking up on and we're tuning into the, the feelings behind those words. And that's a skill that quite quite honestly, we can all work on and we can all improve on. Uh, And it's a skill that every parent can develop uh, so that when they're listening to their child and having a conversation with their child, they're not just hearing the words, they're hearing the feelings behind those words. And when a child begins to feel that the parent is listening to uh, the feelings that they're having, that invokes a sense of trust and open communication. So when you're talking to your child about your your thoughts about them using a, a substance, or maybe you suspect they're using a substance, and you want to have a discussion with that, you want to approach it from the standpoint of, of, of being curious. I'm seeing this behavior, and I'm wondering why I'm seeing it. Can you help me see that? Can you help me understand it? As opposed to, well, I noticed, I think you've been smoking marijuana, and you better not do that, and you better quit, and if, you, if I catch you doing it again, this is what's going to happen that's going to cause the child to pull away. But coming at it from uh, an open communication, a, a point of curiosity is more likely to, to result in, in, in a better uh, communication with that child. That's a skill that every, every parent can practice and learn. The second area is an encouragement. We want to encourage our children. We want to encourage them to uh, to trust us, to be open with us, to have an open communication with us, and 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 that encouragement can go a long way towards towards building trust, um, and also to help children not feel judged. When we ask 
kids, what is it that keeps you from talking to your parents about things that are on your mind? The number one answer that comes back is a fear of being judged. Kids really fear being judged, especially by their parents. So that encouragement, that active encouragement and support uh, means a lot to kids. So that's, that's the second area. The third is negotiation, and that's that's a tricky one for a lot of parents, depending on the age of the child, how much should I negotiate with, you know, and how much of a role should this child have in, in, in making decisions. Obviously, as the child gets older, you want to be able to entrust them with making more decisions and facing the consequences of those decisions. As they're very young, you, you tend not to give them so much leeway and, 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 and provide more guidance. So that negotiation as to what's allowable, what's not allowable. Um, you know, that's a skill that parents develop over time, but it's important as children get older and, 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 and we as parents tend to become more advisors as children get into the late years and into adulthood. We want them to look to us to being advisors as opposed to when they're very young, in which case we're more the authority figure. Limits is the fourth area. Absolutely, we need to set appropriate boundaries and limits for what we allow our child to do. There are certain boundaries that you just can't cross as a child. And one of those is experimenting with alcohol and substances. Uh, but there's other limits in terms of behavior, in terms of their ability to come and go from the house. Uh, so limits and knowing what limits you're comfortable with is very important. Supervision, we all want to be supervisors. We all want to be, uh, you know, uh, the kind of parents who give uh, adequate supervision, not, not overly supervised, not underly supervised. And that's a, that's a tough line for some parents to draw. Sometimes uh, we become helicopter parents where we are supervising everything. We're involved in everything. Uh, and some of that comes, I think, from a fear of, of, of not wanting to let go. But learning how to supervise our children in a healthy way uh, is, is a skill that, um, you know, is important for, for parents to learn. And then the sixth area, which is, which is very important, is knowing our, our children's friends. Who are, who are they associating with? How much time are they spending with these children? And, and, and actually, that can be a warning sign that parents can pay attention to. If you have a child who, for example, uh, very openly introduced you to their friends, you knew who their friends were, you might have even known who their parents were, and then all of a sudden that child becomes very secretive about who their friends are, uh, that can be a warning sign that you need to pick up on. Why is this, why are you seeing this change? Why is my child now being so secretive about their friends? What's going on? That can be a warning sign. Doesn't necessarily mean the child is, is, is involved in drugs or alcohol, but it's just a warning sign that there's a behavioral change going on that is significantly different than what you've seen in the past. You need to pick up on that and do a little bit more investigating uh, to see what's really going on. So those very briefly are the, are the six, six areas, um, uh, communication, encouragement, negotiation skills, setting appropriate limits, 
supervising in an appropriate way, age dependent way, and then knowing your knowing who your child is associating with and who their friends are. And it's interesting to me, Richard, how well these all, how much they all intertwine and yeah. work together. I know you talked about giving our kids encouragement helps them to feel like they won't be judged by us. And that's one of the things I teach when I talk about communicating with our teens, because I've heard the same thing. Parents want to know when their kids get into trouble and have a problem, why didn't they come to me? And one of the top three reasons is they thought they'd be judged, whether it's a parent, a friend, whoever, and nobody wants to be judged. Right, right. And that all, you know, that all works together. And I can see how creating that open communication and allowing them to negotiate as is appropriate, that that would show them that we do trust them, mm-hmm. that we are listening, that we believe in them, that we have faith in them. And all of that would do what? You know, all doing all these things, working in all these areas, how does this prevent or help to prevent because we can't we can't totally prevent our children from using drugs right that that is their choice they are a human being who will make their own decision but we want to do everything we can to give them the best support how does all of this support them in not getting started with drug or alcohol abuse well you're absolutely right um no child no child is totally protected from being exposed to alcohol or drugs. No child is totally protected. Every child is vulnerable. Doesn't matter what the income of your family is. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter whether you live in an urban area, a suburban area, a rural area. It doesn't matter what school you go to. Every child is vulnerable to being caught up with some type of substance use, whether it's alcohol or drugs. But there are protective environments that reduce the likelihood that a child will be captured by these substances. And when we talk about creating that protective environment, we're talking about these six areas that just, what we just went over. To create that protective environment, you develop good communication skills with your child so that they feel that when they're talking to you, you're hearing not just just their words, but their but their feelings, and your and and when you talk to them, you're coming from a curiosity point of view, not a judgment point of view. And then there's the encouragement that's so important, and the negotiation and limits. All of those six areas together work together to create that protective environment. It doesn't mean that you, all of these things are going to guarantee your child doesn't use a substance, but it sub- significantly reduces the likelihood. So all of these six areas that we went through are the foundations for building that protective environment. When you talked about communication, you talked about the idea of listening. So we're hearing the feelings behind the words. And that raised a question for me. Is it helpful then when we're speaking to our kids to be coming not only from that place of curiosity, but telling them, you know, I when I see certain things or I hear about things out in the world or I see you doing things, I get scared. I'm afraid. Is it appropriate to let them know that we are asking these questions because of our own feelings, our own fears? Well, it, it's, 
it's it's asking questions, but it's also being curious. You know, we don't want to interrogate our child because uh, that's probably not something that they want. But we are approaching it from a uh, from a standpoint of being curious. I'm seeing these behaviors. Can you help me understand why I'm seeing them? And yes, it is certainly appropriate because if if you're a parent, you're 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 going to be frightened by your child's potential use of a substance. And it's okay to share that with your child. It's okay to let them see that you fear this and why you fear it and and, and how you're concerned about it. Um, absolutely, uh, helping children to be able to see our own vulnerabilities and our own fears helps them to see that that's okay. Those emotions are okay. So that when you have them as a child, it's okay for you to talk about them too. I'm talking about them. I'm talking and sharing with you. It's okay for you to share with me. And I, and I want you to do that. I love that idea because we talk a lot here about modeling. Yes. And in this case, we're modeling that the discussion is okay. That's part of what Mighty Parenting is, right? You and I are here and we're talking about this difficult topic. We're modeling that it's okay for all of us as parents to talk to friends, talk to our kids, talk to our, our co-parenting partners about whatever it is, that all these conversations are, are good and, and shouldn't be taboo. That's, that's right. We tend to keep those fears inside. Um, and, 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 and what is more helpful is for us to talk about them, talk about them to our friends, talk about them to our spouse, talk about them to our children, uh, because they learn from observing us. They model what they see from us many times. So having a conversation with this child um, and talking about the vulnerabilities that you have and the fears that you have opens up that that conversation in a totally different perspective. I'd like to talk a little about negotiation. And I guess we might get into setting limits too, because I think that's where a lot of your negotiating is going to come in. Yes. You know, we set a limit and the kid doesn't like it. I think that negotiation can be a challenging concept for a lot of parents. I think that may feel disrespectful to them, or it may bring up some fears again around, you know, what, what their child might choose to do. So how can we go about negotiating appropriately? Cause we don't want the kid running the entire show. We don't want us being a dictatorial type of authoritative parenting style. Cause we know that's not great for our kids outcomes. How do we find that, that middle ground where it's, it is actually a negotiation and not the kid walking on the parent or the parent walking on the child. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much going to be a trial and error type of thing. Uh, and it's very much age dependent. Uh, you, you're going to negotiate differently with a seven and an eight year old than you are with a 16 and 17 year old. They're going to be more involved in the negotiation. But but negotiation is really a give and take. You know, it's, it's not a you're going to do it my way or else type of discussion. It's a discussion that 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 focuses on, OK, here's my point of view. 
I want to hear your point of view and, and, and drawing a, a common ground. Now, there'll be some, some places where there's no negotiation. There is no negotiation as to whether your child should be drinking alcohol or whether your child should be using marijuana or cocaine or some other drugs. The, those are not negotiable items. Those are hardcore. You just don't do it. But in terms of, of, of negotiating, you know, things like where they go and and, and the hours that they're away from home, uh, negotiating uh, rules around the house. Yes, those are all open to discussion where as the child gets older, they begin to have a sense that they have some input into this. You're the decision maker, but, but you're there to take input from them, to respect their position and to, and to make ultimately the final decision. You make the final decision, not the child, but the negotiation is a give and take. All right, so that, as I said, leads into this whole idea of setting limits. As you talk to parents, because you spend a lot of time talking to both teens and parents, young adults, what are the mistakes you see us making when it comes to setting limits? Well, adolescents don't like limits. They don't like limits at all. And parents sometimes because of fear, uh, you know, fear over their, something happening to their child, fear over them getting involved in uh, an automobile uh, crisis or, or getting involved in a substance like alcohol or drugs, um, sometimes uh, want to keep those limits very, very tight. Um, and, and the child picks up on that. And, and pretty soon the child is going to sort of pull away against it. Um, there is no fast and hard rule about limits other than what I said earlier, you know, children should not be allowed to experiment with alcohol, they should not be allowed to experiment with drugs. Uh, there are certain areas that are not negotiable. So you have to set hard limits on those. I do not, I do not approve of you using alcohol or drugs, um, you know, or um, some other areas, in, including how much freedom they have to have access to the car once they get a driver's license, where they can go with the with the car. So some of those are negotiable, but even the items that are negotiable, you want to set limits. Yes, you can drive the car, but you have to be back by 10 p.m. So it's sort of a give and take. Um, the limits are age dependent. You'll feel more comfortable setting limits and easing up on those limits as you see your child get more mature and responsible. The less mature, the less responsible, the more limits. Okay. We've talked a couple of times now. I, I know this isn't the focus of this episode, but I think it's important to touch on why you're saying that it is non-negotiable for kids to use any alcohol or marijuana. And I'm asking that because there are parents who, who are trying to do the best they can for their kids, who say, I'd rather have them drink at home where I know what's happening and they are safe. Marijuana is legal in a number of states now. And while it's not legal for children, that makes it more accessible. It There are, again, many parents who feel that marijuana in a small amount in a controlled environment is not harmful. And yet you've told me that you see something else. So could you just tell us why you say that those are absolutely non-negotiable? Yeah, let's start with alcohol. Because I think some parents are of the opinion that if my child drinks alcohol, I would prefer they do it in the home environment where I can supervise them. 
And on the surface, that seems fairly reasonable, except the research shows that when that's allowed, when, when we allow children to have access and drink in the home environment, when those children leave home and go off to college, they tend to end up drinking more than kids who came from a home environment that discourage drinking altogether. So the risk is if you let your child drink alcohol confined to the home, there's a high probability that when they leave home, they're going to end up drinking even more. The other issue on marijuana or any other drug, uh, yes, um, marijuana is legal in, in many parts of this country uh, for adults, not for adolescents. The difference being that your child's brain is in the process of maturing and developing. Their brain is not going to become fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So when you start to put an illicit substance like marijuana into a developing brain, you run the risk of doing some, some very serious damage to that brain. Uh, not only are they likely to become uh, dependent or what we refer to as addicted, but really it's dependent on that substance. Uh, they're more vulnerable to moving on to other substances. The example that I would give you is that many of the adolescents that I worked with when I was uh, at Menninger Clinic in Houston, Texas, many of those adolescents were smoking marijuana multiple times a day. And these were very bright young men and women. Uh, their IQs were above average. But when the psychological test came back, what I noticed was the processing speed of their brain was below average, their short-term memory was curtailed, and their motivation was very poor. Now, was all this due to marijuana? Probably not. Was marijuana contributing to it? Probably so. So my message is, um, you know, any type of substance use, whether it be alcohol or marijuana, injected into an adolescent developing brain runs the risk that there could be some really damage, damage done because as, as adolescents, we need to protect that child's brain. It's developing uh, and, and, and putting those connections together that will allow that child in adulthood to have many of the critical functions that they need. So alcohol, marijuana in a developing brain is not a good idea. All right. So we talked about, actually, we've gone through most of, we've gone through communication, encouragement, negotiation, setting limits. Now I'm looking at supervision. And this is something that I think can get very sticky through yeah. teen years. And I'm wondering how you help parents identify a healthy level of supervision. Because I think that, you know, a lot of times it can be, again, either our fear takes over and we do that helicopter parenting and over supervise or we'll even go the other direction and go, well, they're teenagers, they need to learn, and and it's also difficult. There's a lot of you know arguing rather than honest negotiation. And so we get that other extreme of they're not running wild, but they're pretty unsupervised. How do we find that happy medium and, and what does that look like? 
Well, I think you pretty well uh, you know, got that right on target. We send, tend to go one extreme or the other. Uh, we, other. we become helicopter parents because we're afraid and we want to protect our kids and, and, and we know all the dangers that are out there. Uh, or we swing to the other side and we become too permissive and we give them too much flexibility and too many things that they can choose. Um, you know, and, and, and that's always a, a, a a fine line that a parent has has to walk. And it's not an easy line for, for parents to walk because you don't want to err on the side of being too restrictive because the child will begin to resent that and rebel against it. And you don't want to be too permissive because if you're too permissive, then you run the risk of the child really venturing off into some dangerous behaviors. I would say that the best judge on where to be is 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 to observe what's going on with your child. You know your child better than anyone else. You know the, the times that they have stepped over the line, so to speak. And you know the times when they've exhibited uh, responsible behavior. So you're gonna draw your cues basically on paying attention to how that child is acting and how that child is reacting. You won't be perfectly right every time. You'll make mistakes, we all do as parents, but you'll learn from them. Um, and, 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 and as the child gets older, um, you know, the consequences of their behaviors come into play. So if they overstep the bounds, if they do something that's inappropriate, they will face a consequence for that, but they'll know why they face that consequence. Can you give us maybe an example or a story that might help us understand more of this idea of basing our supervision on uh, observing our child? Well, some of it's very simple. Let's say you have a child and uh, they have driving privileges and, and you allow them to have the car for a certain period of time and they violate that time. Uh, they're told to be home at 10 o'clock and they wander in it uh, at 11 or 11.30. There's a consequence to that. That's pretty clear cut. They violated a rule. Uh, other other uh, ones are a little bit more touchy where you have to make a judgment call as to whether or not you think your child has overstepped the bounds. Um, and that's where, that's where it can really get tricky is in these areas that are sort of gray. I mean, the firm rules, those are easy to judge, but, but, but the not so easy ones are the ones that are most challenging for us as parents too. Um, uh, and and there, is no, there is no hard rule one way or the other. So as I'm thinking this through and I'm thinking about when do we allow them to go and do unsupervised, I guess I have to go back and go, well, what's my history with this kid? Yeah. How responsible are they? How good are they at making choices? What kind of situation am I letting them walk into? I think back, I was talking to someone recently about a story. I was a junior in high school and my parents let me take the family car and drive 500 miles away to attend a <laughs> women in engineering summer camp. And I think back on that now and I go, would I have let my daughter do that? Wouldn't I? And, and those are kind of some of those supervisory questions, yeah, right? Yeah. How much do we need to keep an eye on their movements and their activities and what they're actually doing? Yeah, that's that's a good example. And, you know, I had one from my own history, too, when I was uh, in high school and uh, uh, working at a part time job and I had a car 
uh, you know, I just decided with a buddy of mine to drive down to Florida. Uh, so we went from Illinois to Florida. Um, I would know, no, there's no way that I would have let my son do that. Uh, but yet, you know, my parents let me do that. And, and, uh, it's, and I don't even remember asking them if I could do it. I think I just went and did it. Um, but um, you're absolutely right. We have to go on the history of, of what we're seeing with our child, because the history is a good predictor of what's likely to happen in the future. So if you have a child and they have a history of being irresponsible uh, to avoiding your rules, uh, to, to not respecting the, the guidelines and the rules that you set down, you're going to act differently than if you have a child who has a history of pretty much following the rules and respecting your decision on rules. Those are two very different situations that are going to lead you in terms of, okay, what, how do I set these limits? Do I set them sort of as a hard limit or as a soft limit? Yeah, the history is going to tell you a lot. Well, and the latter child is certainly much easier. It's like they follow the rules. They do what we expect. That becomes relatively easy for us as parents. It's, I'm thinking of the kid who's pushing the limits and breaking the rules. And so listening to what you said today, my understanding is they push the limits, they break the rules. Yes, there are consequences to what they do, but this isn't about bringing down the hammer. This is about having that conversation and saying, hey, when you just took off to Florida, Richard, that was absolutely terrifying to us. That was completely disrespectful of our feelings. We were worried about you. We didn't know what happened to you. And that's a problem. And so there are consequences to that, which the parents have to do. But before we even get to that, it seems like the conversation of going, so why did you do that? You know, what made you want to go to Florida? Why was it such a quick decision? Why did you not choose to call us? Going to that curiosity place that you talked about, is that kind of what we want to do and, and still setting the, the consequences? Yes, exactly. We want to get back to that communication style we talked about earlier, that that curiosity as a parent, you know, I'm seeing this behavior you know, help me understand why I'm seeing this behavior. And then also how this behavior is affecting me as a parent. You know, when you took that car and you and you just took off to Florida, that was a very scary moment for me. I didn't know what was going on. Can you help me understand why you made that decision? And can we talk about the risk of, of making those kinds of decisions? So it, it changes the entire dynamic of the conversation when we approach it from being curious about the behavior that we're seeing. And then we can sort of help our child see how that behavior has affected us as a parent. And, 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 in, and in doing that, we become vulnerable. And it's okay for the child to see that vulnerability in us. Yeah. And all of this wraps around, I, I can see how having that communication, the being vulnerable helps them see why it was an issue. You're not just setting consequences because you set some arbitrary rule that they broke. You're showing them that their action, their actions had consequences for you. You know, they, they did something that brought harm to you, that scared you. And so you bring in the conversation, you find out why and talk through that. And then it also gives you an opportunity to tailor your consequences to their reasoning. Yes. 
Yes. Because so you've, you've really structured this, this conversation in a way that, you know, the child sees how that behavior has affected you, you know, and, and, and the impact that it's had on you. And so it's not just a conversation of, okay, you broke this rule. You knew better than to do that. Here's the consequence. No, this goes much deeper. This goes to you as a parent seeking information as to what was behind that behavior. What were they thinking? What was their motivation? What was behind it? And then going even a step deeper and sharing with that child how that decision affected you as a parent. And it's okay to, 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 to become vulnerable in that moment. Let that child know that you were terrified, that you were scared. Um, and that's, that's a completely different conversation. Many times as parents, when we see our child do a behavior that could be endangering, our first response is either anger or to come down and set limits. Um, so we sort of have to pull ourselves back. And, and this skill that I'm talking about doesn't just come automatically. It takes practice. It takes practice to learn how to listen, not just to words, but to feelings. But 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 it's a it's a skill that every parent can work on and every parent can learn and, and do better with. Well, Richard, this is a really interesting conversation. For parents who want to get more from you, where can they find you online? Um, I would suggest that uh, they go to the book's website, which is helptheaddictedchild.com. They'll be able to read about my book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. They'll be able to read about the book and, and read a sample chapter, hopefully purchase a copy of the book so that they have this information on adolescent substance abuse as a resource. And there's also a link where they can contact me or send me a message, or if they have a question, they can send, a, send along a question and it'll come directly to me. Well, thank you, Richard, for joining us again on the podcast. I appreciate your time and your insights. Thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, I appreciate your, uh, your contributions to the conversation as well. They were very helpful. Thank you. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. Remember to share this podcast with another parent, particularly this episode. And also remember, visit MightyParenting.com and grab our free email series on how to communicate with your teen. It's a great supplement to what Richard is talking about today and also works well with his book. So you can grab the book and you can grab that. And thank you for just being here, for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, if you're here, you're listening, you are Mighty Parent. So you got this and I will see you next week. <laughs>